This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Glad everyone's here. Man, we're going to look at four verses today. First John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Um, but before I get into it, let me, uh, let me just pray one more time. Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that you help us to focus on your word. Father, that it just, um, it just pierces our hearts and uh, we open our minds, Lord, and just help us, Father, to um, kind of block everything out that's going on, all the busyness of, of life and work and, and school and family and just everything so we could just focus on you. So, Lord, I pray for myself that you help me to remember what was studied, Father, that you help me to say things um, that point to Jesus because we know if we see Christ, we'll never be the same. And you know, we pray all these things. Amen. Um, so I want to start with a question. Do you guys remember your first kiss? Some of y'all still like, I'm still waiting, bro. All right, so it's okay. None wrong with that. Um, and some of you guys are like looking at like, go ahead, you remember? No. Who was it? You know, unfortunately, I remember mine. Uh, just wanted to premise that. Uh, I was in ninth grade at Pasco. Uh, I was in, we were in biology, and this girl comes up to me, and she's like, hey, my friend thinks you're cute. And I didn't know what to do with that, because nobody ever kind of pointed me the way. Um, if you guys know my brother, he ain't it. So I just kind of did what every other guy would do, and, and I went and I talked to my single friends about relationships. Um, so I was like, guys, what do I do? And they're like, well, whoever it is, uh, do you know who it is that thinks you're, you know? And I was like, yeah, I think I know this girl. And like, what's she look like? Oh, who cares? She's breathing. So um, I'm in ninth grade, y'all. So they were like, you got to hang out at lunch. Um, so back in the day, for you guys that are kind of new at this, what you would do is you would walk the track. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, so I remember I asked her, I was like, hey, do you want to hang out at lunch? And she said, yes. Uh, so we walked the track, and it was freezing. There was no reason to be outside. But because I had no idea what I was doing, I was sticking to the plan, because that's what my single friends told me to do. And so we walked the track, and as we're walking the track, I decided, you know what, let's sit down and hang out. So we sat at the bleachers at Pascal outside, freezing cold, and um, she got close to me, and then she kind of like snuggled on my arm. So I'm like, okay. Um, and then I started looking down, and her head got closer and closer to my face. And it just kind of kept moving. And then I looked down, and then she looked up, and I looked down, and she looked up. And then she, like, wouldn't stop looking. Um, and then, she, like, out of nowhere, she just planted one on me. Uh, I mean, it was like 80-20. Because uh, I didn't want to, like, be a punk. So, and all I remember was closing my eyes. And it felt like somebody slapped me with a wet sponge. Um, that's not a good thing, y'all. And, and I just remember, and it was cold, so you feel like the wetness, like it was all like right here. 
And, um, and, and it, I was like, oh. And then she was a mouth breather. Um, you know what a mouth breather is? Like the, you know, like. So it smelled like a science. Like, I don't know. How to, like, it just, it wasn't a good experience. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. So I remember afterward was the, the here comes the hard part. So after the incident, um, she, she like, you know, we giggle a little bit, and then she's like, so what'd you think? Um, now, now here's where I got torn. And I was like, like just kind of thinking a little bit, because remember, I'm in ninth grade. You know, we're immature, whatever. But I, I remember I didn't know what to say. And, and, and there's two lights here, because I could have either lied about it and said, oh, it was wonderful, and then went in for the second time, maybe got better, and just encouraged it some more. Um, or I could have been, like, really truthful and said, don't ever do that again. That was, like, rough. Like, you wet my face. It was, um, so what I ended up doing was, you know, like, there's times where you use words that could either be good or bad. Like, wow. You know, like, it could either be, like, wow or wow. You know what I mean? Like, or if you eat somebody's food and you're like, how was it? And you're like, it was interesting. Is that like interesting as in like, I didn't like it interesting? Or interesting like, wow, that was something I've never experienced before interesting. Or you say words like, all right. Is it all right or is it all right? You know? So I just kind of was like, oh, man, wow. So, you know, we go back and forth because sometimes telling like a hard truth is scary. It's kind of difficult. And we do this all the time. You know, we don't want to insult people. Like when, especially when somebody comes, like they invite you over, they, they cook this meal for you, they give a backstory behind it. Like, this is my, my grandmother passed away. This is her famous recipe. And then you try it and you're like, mmm, wow. You should have buried it with your grandmother. All right? like, like, it's just like, like there, it wasn't good and you don't want to say that. But because that would come off too mean, and, and we do this all the time. Like, we don't, we use words that kind of go back and forth, whether it's good or bad. Like, hey, do you like my dress? Wow. I mean, like, <laughs> that's not what you say, right? Me and Rach talked about that. Like, you know, it's wonderful, life-changing. Um, and it's hard. And we're going to look at something that can be a difficult truth. And John is going to skip the words, and he's going to just go ahead and tell you. He's like, listen, if you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. And in Christianity, in Christianese, and I started seeing this because it's hard sometimes, and we're going to look at if, if you're of a righteous God, and if God lives in you, and you are a child of God, that means you're from righteousness, so righteous acts come out of you. And if they don't come out of you, and there's nothing you want of God, then sometimes we kind of use words like, well, you know, like, it was just a season I'm in. Or, or we say things like, ah, it's just like I'm a follower of Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Or I'm a religious person. Or it's a relationship, not a religion. Or, you know, like, oh, it's just because it's just what I'm going through right now. And it's like, no, bro, you're a child of the devil. And that's exactly what John is saying. John is saying, like, there is no ends, ifs, or buts about it. Like, you either love the things of God because he's in you, or you don't. 
And sometimes as Christians, like, we use those words because we don't want to, like, sound offensive. And listen, if you're going through sin and if you're going through things, man, it's okay to struggle with things. It's okay to fight things, but it's not okay to succumb to them because we, li- we serve a risen Savior. And he's given us the power because of the cross of Christ over our sin. So when people start claiming, like, oh, man, like, uh, it's just... If you don't love the church, how do you not, how do you love Jesus and not his bride? Like there's some things that just don't make sense and we're a society that wants to cuddle everybody. And, and, and John is like straight up saying, no, like you're a child of the devil. The origin inside of you is evil. And that's kind of what we're going to look at. So we're, we're going to look at four quick verses today. And I want to encourage you, like don't, don't let this freak you out a little bit. Like, oh my God, am I a child of the devil? Like, just, just, just hold off. Let, let's see what the word of God has to say to us so we could truly understand what John is getting to here. So let's look at the first two verses. We're going to look at two verses at a time. Look at verse 7. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. All right, I want to pause there. Let's go to seven because I really want us to look at this. Now, we know that when John says, dear children, it's because he's about 90 years old when he wrote this. Uh, you know, so when you're that, you could call anybody whatever they want, whatever you want. And this is like a turn of endearment to who he's writing to. And then he goes on, he's like, listen, don't let anyone lead you astray. That also translates into don't let anyone deceive you. And at the the time, you had these false teachers, these Gnostics, who are going around and they're attempting to pervert the fundamentals of our faith in the church. And it's starting to work because there's Christians that are becoming fooled and they're accepting what these false teachers are advocating for. So John is saying, hold on a second, because what you guys are claiming is that you're able to claim righteousness, but not live righteousness. You're talking a lot about it, but your lives are not showing it. So he immediately is like, hey, don't let anyone lead you astray. Don't let anybody in the culture, don't let your family, don't let anything in this world lead you astray from what we've been preaching, which is the real gospel. And that's why in 1 John, he, he's going to keep pushing on the need of obedience and love and, and proper view of Christ and the, and the word. That's why John just keeps pointing back to Jesus because he knows that this is happening. But then he goes on, he says, listen, the one who does what is right is what? Righteous. He's just, this is so simple, it's hard. The one who does right is righteous. Why? Because just as he is righteous. You see, what, what, what John is doing is that he is creating a contrast. Remember the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a habitual sin. So if you do not have the anointing inside of you, that means that there's a sin in your life that you just keep going to and you don't feel repentant. You don't feel like, ah, like something is wrong here. You just keep living in it. You see, so what he's doing, he's like, listen, if, if you're not of Christ, if you're not of Christ because he's righteous, then there has to be an exchange. 
for a habitual sin in your life to a habitual righteousness in your life. So you have these habit-forming sins that are doing all these things, and John is saying, no, if you're of Christ, you have this habit-forming righteousness that is going to kind of be coming out of you, and the reason why it's going to come out of you is because he's righteous. That's the only way. So it's not about being good or bad. It's not about, like, I used to cuss, and I don't cuss anymore. I used to listen to, you know, chronic, and I don't listen to chronic anymore. You know, like, it's not about, like, behavior here. If you guys that don't know what Chronic is, it's an album that Dr. Dre made. It's pretty amazing, 2001, life. Anyway, so I had to explain. Some of y'all looking at me like, Chronic, isn't that weak? Anyway, so, uh, so there's two things that he's saying. And, and John did not allow us to separate this, like, religious righteousness from the righteousness that comes with God. He's not saying you live righteous because... You're trying to please God. No, he's saying you live righteous because if you claim to be a follower of God, that means that you have the nature of God that is now living in you. And because he's righteous, you're righteous. Period. It's pretty like cut and dry here. So whenever people are trying to justify their sin, when there's people that are trying to justify, listen, anything that goes against God's word is not of him. It's not righteousness. It's actually the origin, anything that the deceiver, anything, the adversary that goes against God's word is of your father, the devil, which is what he's going to tell us here. It's pretty, pretty cold. Just as he is righteous. You know, I love this. Um, there's a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. I was reading. He goes, a grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. And what John is, is getting at here is that true transformation only happens with a relationship in Christ. So go ahead and throw that quote on the, the screen for me there. No, no, quote. <laughs> it's all right, man. You kind of zoned out there. Uh, true transformation comes when we put our life in the righteous one. And then we have his nature take over through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And now we're able to live that out. So those who are truly born, again, reflect the divine nature of the Son. Right? So they behave like him. They manifest the power like him. And they're also able to reject sin like him. You see, Jesus was tempted in the desert, in the wilderness, and the way, and Satan came at him, and the way that he rejected Satan was through the word of the Lord. See, we have that same power now if we're in him. Now look at verse 8. Now he's going to go ahead and flip, and he's going to flip the script. He's like, so if you're righteous, you're going to have a righteous lifestyle because he's righteous. Now, if you're not, now the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Straight cut, man, I'm telling you, straightforward. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Man, I love this verse. So in that contrast, it's the one who does. You know, something that we learned this week is you got to follow the verbs. Because the verbs lead to the subject. So he's talking to us. Listen, anybody who does these things is of the devil. Anything sinful. Now, actually, the devil means accuser. 
Actually, the word Satan means adversary. <clears throat> so anything that opposes God, opposes God's plan, opposes God's word, that is of the devil. And Satan is the originator and he's the instigator of sin. Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, that there, there's such a massive divide there. You have author and perfecter of faith. You have the originator and the instigator of sin. Two different authors, two different fathers. Who do you belong to? And that's exactly what John is pointing out. And I know this is kind of like, man, this is, this is rough in your face. But, man, John is not cutting corners here. So anything that rebels against God and his law is not of God. It's actually of Satan. It's a sinful, sinful lifestyles reflect a satanic origin inside of us. And see how I use the word us? Because all of us are broken. We're all sinful people. And we've all been separated from Christ. But do you, who do you belong to? That's the question. So in verse 8, he says, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What's the beginning? The beginning is Genesis chapter 3. As soon as sin enters the world, that's when Satan comes up. He was there with Eve. Everything about Satan was to destroy the work of God. Anything that, that he could do to go against the creator is what Satan does. So you belong to one or the other. Now, I love how verse 8 ends. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Man, I love that verse. <clears throat> he didn't just come to crush the curse of sin on our lives. But he came to destroy everything that Satan is trying to implement in our lives. It's not just I'm going to save you from, from sin by grace. He's here to stop everything that Satan is trying to bring on you and your family and your friends, everything that he's trying to use to destroy you, here comes Christ and he puts it off and he says, no, I'm going to destroy that work. It's, it's crushing. That's when you say, man, we're crushed by his grace. Like this is great news. So the son of God appeared and he came to destroy the, the work of the devil. So what's the work of the devil? Well, think about the activities of the devil. You know, it reminds me of uh, Waterboy, Bobby Boucher. You guys remember that movie? Every time he wanted to do something, the mom's like, that's the devil, right? Football's the devil. She's the devil. College is the devil, right? But really, what is that? Well, think about the activities, sin, rebellion, temptation, the ruling of the world, a ruling of the world, persecution, accusation of the saints, instigation by the false teachers, exercising power, death, all these things are from the devil and the Satan's work. And what I want us to understand is that Jesus did not come to neutralize it, to alleviate it, or to limit it. He came to destroy it. He didn't come to put a Band-Aid on a wound. He came to fix the wound. Not just fix the wound, but he came to stop anything that is causing the wound. Like, we got to look at the, the, the larger scope of what Jesus came to do here. 
And I know a lot of us kind of operate in those, those two sides of like, like the devil's everywhere. He's here to kill us and attack us, like run for the hills. And then there's some people that are like, oh, the devil doesn't even exist. But what I were to tell you that if you walk with Jesus, you're actually helping him destroy the work of the devil. Because we live in his righteousness. So, yes, the devil is real. Satan is a real, this is a real entity. It's a real person. And the Bible, but the Bible does say that in Revelation chapter 20, God will throw him in the lake of fire and he will be there for all eternity. So we know how this thing ends. In the meantime, he's going to be causing chaos. But because we have Christ, we're able to fend him off. We don't fall under his rule because we don't belong to him because we're not his children. So now look at verse 9. And, and John's just going to keep flipping this thing around. He, he's just going to keep building on it. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. He's kind of reiterating a couple of things twice here. No one. Who's no one? No one. Think of Alicia Keys. No one, no one, no one. I mean, that's what keeps playing. No one in this world, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, sin does not rule your life. You might struggle with it, you might wrestle with it, but you are not a slave to it. And then, and then you got to keep looking back in 1 John, all the stuff we've talked about, how we're repentant, how the, 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 the Holy Spirit helps us to fight that, helps us to recognize the sin in our lives. But no one who's of God is going to continue to find joy in that sin because God's seed remains in them. What's God's seed? That's Christ in you. Anytime you see in the scripture, he talks about the seed the seed of the woman, like all that is Jesus. He's representing Jesus Christ. And then there's that word again we talked about last week, remains. It's, it's going to endure. It's going to stay there. <clears throat> you see, the reason why John mentions, uses that word remains, is that he's talking with this idea of permanence of the new birth, a.k.a. it cannot be reversed. There's no, there's no re-transformation. Like when I hear about like people like I'm reconstructing from my faith. No, bro, you never had it. You can't like decide not that you don't want it anymore. The power of God is way too strong. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. If, if you have this verse, you should memorize it. <coughs> it talks about how we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In Ezekiel, he talks about how, how like we, God has replaced a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So there's no way that he could say, you know what, I'm going to take the heart of flesh and give you back a heart of stone. You see, that, that's not how God works. The power of the Lord, the power of the transfer is so powerful that that seed, Jesus, remains in you. It's not going anywhere. You can't lose your salvation. They cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. And he's talking about this, this regeneration, this being born again, what we see in John chapter 3, being born of the Spirit. So when he uses the word cannot, 
They cannot go on sinning, cannot. That, that phrase conveys impossibility of habitual sinning. When you say, man, it can't happen, it cannot happen. That means that there's not a sin in your life that you enjoy anymore because you've been born of Jesus. You don't fall in love with sin when you're paying attention to the things of God. We, we belong to him now. So what I want us to look at, he talks about the seed inside. So there's an origin of that righteousness. There, it, something comes from something everywhere. It's like they say when, whenever you talk about, like, canceling a debt, somebody's got to pay for it. It ain't just going to disappear. Like, you just cancel all student loans. That's great. Who's going to pay for it, though? You know, like, so we got to think. So whenever you cancel something, it, it, somebody's got to take care of that cancellation. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's like, if I have the seed in, in you, that means that I'm replacing my spirit and my seed and my origin of righteousness with the devil's spirit and the devil's seed and the devil's origin of sin in our lives. There's an exchange there. So he, he gives us this, this new nature. He replaces our heart in us. So look at verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love his brother and sister. Man, this is a big verse. So verse 10 is actually one of those verses that summarizes verses 4 through 10. He's summarizing these verses, but he's actually also um, setting up the premise for what he's going to talk about next, which is love. So it's, it's one and the same. So what he's saying is like, listen, if, if you are a child of God, righteousness is inside of you because he's righteous. And no one of God who loves sin and continues to be in habitual sin and continues to go against the things of God are born of God. It makes no sense. It, it can't work that way. But on the flip side, if you love sin and you continue to live in your sin, then he's saying, like, you're not of God. You're actually of your father, the devil. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 34 as well. So John is quoting Christ. And what he's talking about here is an observable change. People have got to be able to look at you and say, there's something different about that guy. That's the power of the spirit of God. Because what the righteous leaders were doing, what the Gnostics were doing, is they were going around saying, yeah, like, we are righteous. We contain this righteousness. But their lives look nothing like it. And John is driving this, this, this uh, distinction here. Now, look, look what it says at the end here. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is really interesting because what he's saying is he's talking about righteousness and he's talking about love. He's talking about righteousness, anybody that does not do what is right, but he's also talking about love. This is really important here because a lot of us think that there has to be some kind of balance. You know, I think of a, um, 
kind of like a tightrope walker. Let's go into that picture on the screen. So whenever you see a tightrope walker, for you guys that, don't, that have been living under a rock, don't know what a tightrope walker is. Um, so these guys are, are extremely trained to walk this like two inch rope. And they do this like over buildings, they do this in the circus, they do this everywhere. And there's actually a family called the uh, Walenda family. And the Walenda family has jet seven generations where they walk tightropes. So when you see a tightrope walker, they usually have this long, heavy pole in their hands as they're walking this tightrope. Now, this guy's doing it here. His name's Nick Walenda, and he's doing this over Niagara Falls. And, and, and what I want you to imagine is that you, you're holding this pole, and on one side, a lot of us think this way, one side is righteousness, and the other side is love. Now, what does he say? If you do not have what is right, is not, you're not God's child. But he also talks about if you can't love your brother and sister. So how do you balance that? Because if you tip too much to the one side of righteousness without love, you become a religious Pharisee. But if you tip too much to the side of love but not enough righteousness, you're going to fall off as well because you're actually going to be pushing people to their sin. And you're going to be actually helping them wreck their lives <laughs> in the name of love and in the name of acceptance. So on one side, you're like, hey, you can't cuss. You can't listen to that music. You must dress a certain way. You can't go watch those movies. But there's no love behind it. You're not explaining. You're not telling, like, man, it's, like, man, it's, gonna, it's not going to help you. That's... But on the other side, because you're so loving and there's not enough righteousness, you say things like, hey, I accept you. Man, as long as you're happy, congratulations, I got your back. And they're living in sin, and you're just like celebrating it. And what you're doing is that you're pushing them further and further away from the truth because you're so loving. And it's not helping anybody. So how in the world do we balance righteousness and love without falling off the line? So here's what's fascinating about that, because that's kind of where our struggle is, isn't it? So this guy, his name is Nick Walanda, and in June 15th of 2012, Nick walks across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, um, and he does this, this attempt in person, and, and, it, and it works out. So he walks about 1,800 feet across. The thing with Niagara Falls is that he's just not walking across it, but he's asked to actually battle the elements. There's a lot of mist. There's a lot of wind. There's all these things. Well, anyway, he pulls it off, and, and in the interview, his father, actually in 1978, tried to tightrope walk across two massive condominiums in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and he fell, ten, and he fell, and he died. Ten stories. You can actually look it up on YouTube. It's pretty crazy. They don't show like the, but they show the news clip. Um, but, but he's on there, and, and he slipped, and he fell. And as they're interviewing Nick, they ask him about how he did it. Like, what was it that carried you all the way across Niagara Falls with all the elements happening and without you falling? And what he said was, a lot of praying, that's for sure. But you know, 
It's all about the concentration, the focus, and the training. You know what he didn't mention? The pole. He never gave credit. Thank God for the pole because the pole actually, like, kept my balance and everything. But here's what's even more interesting. When you, when you do more research on this, you know what the pole is used for? It has nothing to do with balance. The pole does, has nothing to do with balance because the concentration and the training is what keeps them on the line. The pole lowers the center of gravity of the tightrope walker, making them more stable while they're performing the stunt. The pole has nothing to do with balance. The pole has everything to do with stabilization, has everything to do with anchoring them to, so that way they're able to focus on getting across to the tightrope. When we focus on righteousness and love, we're so busy with this balancing act that we're going to jack it up one way or the other. But the truth is that you cannot try to balance love and righteousness because they're one and the same. Complete righteousness is not absent of love and complete love is not absent of righteousness. So in our lives, we're trying to do this balancing act on what God has called us to and we're failing miserably. We're either leading people away from Jesus because of our religious um, you know, like just this, this religiousness that we carry, or we're leading people away from Jesus because we're so loving and accepting. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We want them to feel love all the time. And what you're doing is you're pushing people away. How do I walk straight with, with this balance? Well, it's kind of what John says. You see, the pole is not a balancing act of righteousness and love. The pole is Christ anchoring you because he is righteousness and love. You see, whenever you take on Christ, you take on the nature of Christ. And it is perfect in nature. So you display the nature of Jesus because Jesus is both righteousness and completely loving all at one time. And the only way that you're able to enact that, to show righteousness and love, perfect together is to rely on the nature of Christ in you. So when I give my life to Christ, that means that I receive the anointing, his spirit. His spirit now lives in me. I take on the full nature of God. And because I take on the one who is righteous, I am now able to live out righteously. So we need to learn not to, to try to balance things. We need to learn to stabilize. And when you stabilize, which is in your relationship with Christ, you're able now to focus on the goal that he has called you to without falling off and leading people away from him. We've got to rely on Jesus. We've got to rely on Christ in us. And you're like, man, Ricky, I just don't know how that's going to work. Good. Ask Jesus. Look in his word. Ask him to help you give wisdom. And most importantly, help, ask him to help you love people. Because when you love people, you don't want to steer them wrong. So, Ricky, what do I do?
if I, if I continue with my sin, and this is, I'll, I'll end with this. What do I do to continue? Like, how do I fight this thing off? But before I answer that question, I know a lot of you guys are wondering, whatever happened to that chick that kissed you in ninth grade? Did she, like, just disappear? Like, what happened between you guys? I know it's just eating you up inside. Like, whatever happened to that mouth breather? No, I'm just joking. Well, the, the truth is absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know why? Because there was nothing compatible about that day. The reason why nothing happened was because of my response to the, the situation. So instead of me saying, wow, that was awesome, let's, I used a word that was like, eh. That's not very exciting. We went back to class. The next day, it was like nothing ever happened. See, my response actually said everything that needed to be said. Because it wasn't what she was expecting to hear. It kind of just killed the vibe. It's like when you don't hear, it's like, ah, oh, never mind. I'm not going to mess with that anymore. So here's what I want you to see. My response to her action was not one of approval. My response to her action was actually one of disapproval. See, if it was one of approval, then I would have continued to respond to more of the action that's going to be coming in. When you approve of things, what you're saying is, yes, give me more. You're, you're encouraging it by approving it. So what I did was I actually showed disapproval and it went away. How do you fight sin as it starts creeping into your life? You don't approve of it. You, you show disapproval of it. You kill it. You go away from it. But you know what another determining factor is? affirmation and acceptance because in my mind I was like yo man if I kiss this in ninth grade I can't wait to go and run and tell my friends I got bragging rights now and they're gonna like put me on their shoulders march me around the school like Ricky's the man like you have this picture in your head of what real acceptance and approval looks like and sometimes that acceptance and approval drives you to say yes to sin, even though you know it's harmful. So if I would have said yes, thinking that my friends were going to love me even more, I would like, man, just keep licking my face. Who cares? My boys are like talking awesome about me. But you see, disapproval to an action speaks volumes. What happens is that that action actually dies and goes off. And when you are found in righteousness, you don't need validation from anyone. Who cares? The only thing that's important to me now is what my father thinks of me. And my father is righteous. He's what matters to me. He cares about what anybody else says. And I know for some of us, that's going to take a, a, a spiritual maturity 
But that's the only approval that counts to me. Because my father looks at me and he doesn't see a brokenness. He doesn't see someone that's struggling. He doesn't see a sinner. What he sees is someone who was redeemed by the blood of Christ and is in his son now. And is trying to live righteously because he's righteous. So I want to encourage us, don't be of the devil. I know it sounds so like, well, duh, Ricky. But, but seriously, don't be of the devil. Help destroy the works of the devil. Have that seed of Jesus in you so that way righteousness could come out. And if you're struggling with that whole idea of righteousness and love, stop trying to balance it and take on Christ so that way he could stabilize it. And you'll know exactly what to do when that time comes. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you so much because you are a faithful God. And Lord, if there's anybody in here right now who is struggling with and wrestling with this sin in their lives, Lord, please, Father, I, I, I pray on their behalfs that you show them the freedom that there is to be found in Christ, to be forgiven, and to have that righteous seed planted in their lives that will remain with them forever. God, there is a freedom in following you. So, Lord, I pray for those who are in that time right now, Lord, that they are chasing the things of the devil, Lord, and not of the righteous things that belong to you. And, God, I also pray for those who are just struggling right now. Lord, help us to show disapproval, God. Help us to turn away from that sin that is so easily trying to entangle us and destroy us. Lord, we know that if we disapprove from sin, that that action's going to go away until it comes back again. But thank God that you've given us the power and the strength and the authority to cast it away in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Let's worship together.